Hallelujah. Are you excited about the Lord tonight? Yes. Wow. I, I'm excited about God tonight. I, who was here this morning? Yeah, lots of you were here this morning. Well, my wife got healed this morning. Yeah, which is great. Let me, let me tell you about it. Uh, last night um, we got home and Kalinda had, had tweaked her back nasty. She had a, uh, a big, naughty, nasty um, muscle spasmy thing in her back and was in a, in a whole heap of pain. And uh, so I prayed for her last night, and, um, but uh, she didn't get healed right then. In fact, uh, I prayed for her, gave her back a massage, and uh, you... <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I gave her back a message, okay, and <laughs> she took painkillers all the way through the night, and about uh, one o'clock in the morning, I woke up, and she said, am I keeping you awake? And I said, tonight, you are a very bad bed buddy, okay, you're a very bad bed buddy, <laughs> no. and uh, yeah, I lost all my brownie points right there, okay, all right. And uh, this morning, when, uh, when we got up, she was still in a whole heap of pain and a big, knotty, nasty, um, swollen thing in the, in the middle of her back. And uh, she decided to go to church anyway, and uh, which is a good, good choice. She went to church and uh, decided that, first of all, she decided that she was going to stand down the back, and then she decided, no, she will stand with me. And then she decided that she would praise God and worship and dance all the way through the service, which is what we did this morning. And in the middle of it, God healed her. So that's great, eh? Hallelujah. Yeah, so we can all get some sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah, so isn't that amazing? You know, when you choose, when you choose to put yourself out for God and uh, just choose to worship Him anyway, God does. God does some amazing things. So, all right. Are you ready with, for the Word of God tonight? Yes. All right, turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 22. How many of you have been practicing your smiling? Yes. All right, I want you to turn to the person next to you. I want you to smile at them, and I want you to tell them, hey, I think you got much better looking over the week. <laughs> You've been practicing, haven't you? <laughs> Acts chapter 22. All right. Yeah. Acts chapter 22 and verse 10. And this is the Apostle Paul. And he's sharing the story of how he was arrested by God, that he was on his way, busy doing something with his own agenda. He was going to do something for God, except that he was completely on the wrong path. God got hold of his life completely got hold of his life, stopped him in his tracks, blinded him. And right there and then, the Apostle Paul, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my life? And he said, Lord, what shall I do? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus. And there you will be told all that is appointed. Everyone say appointed. Appointed for you to do. All right, now there are things that God has appointed you and I to do. Just like the Apostle Paul was appointed things by God to do. You and I have been appointed things by God to do with our lives. 
There is no such thing as a life without purpose, as a life without meaning. Every one of you, every one of you, there are things that God has appointed for you to do. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't live a meaningless life because there's plenty of people, even though they've got the call of God on their lives, even though they've been appointed by God to do things, doesn't mean that you can't live a meaningless life. They'll still live vague, drift about, wasting lives. But that's what, not what God has called you and I to. He's called us to something so much bigger than that. Tell the person next to you, you've been appointed by God to do some things in your life. All right. So everyone wants to know that their life has meaning. Every one of you wants to know that your life has got purpose. And this here points towards a universal, a universal truth that each one of us have been given things to do from God. It means that God has assigned a place for every one of you, that He has set us aside for a specific purpose, that He has dedicated us for a role, that we've been chosen for a job. How good is that? Isn't that awesome? All right. Now, last week I told you how God has appointed us to be ambassadors for Him. Ambassadors. Ambassador is a, is a high-ranked official. Ambassador is someone who is skilled in the art of relationship and diplomacy and peaceful negotiation. You can practice that in your family to start with, eh? How about that for a good place? Those of you who are married, you can practice it with your husband or your wife. How cool is that? You know, you can practice it with your mum or your dad. How skilled would that be? Peaceful negotiation with your mum or dad. So we've been appointed as ambassadors. We've been given a message from God, a message to the world, to bring the world to Jesus Christ. Okay, now we're also, we're appointed to bear fruit. We're appointed to be productive and produce fruit for God. Not appointed to uh, a non-productive lives, but appointed to bear good fruit, sweet fruit. How much sugar do people need with you? Or are you just naturally, supernaturally sweet? Yeah? Oh yeah, come on. All right. Now, also, we are appointed by God to stand before Him at the end of our lives. We're appointed, every one of us, we will stand before God at the end of our lives and we'll give an account before Him. For those of us who have received Jesus Christ, that'll be a, a place of reward. For those of us who have never received Jesus Christ, never repented from our sins, continued life our own way, that's a place of judgment. You don't want to be in that place. Who'd rather have reward than judgment? All right, me, I'm there, okay? I said, well, I want to be rewarded. Now, that's the truth of it. As Christians, you can go before God and you can expect you will be rewarded. All right, so let's step up another level. I want to get to the next three things that we're appointed to. I want you to turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. All right, are you there? Yeah, you're there? You're not there. Get there. Come on. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, and it says, But you are a chosen race. What's that? Appointed. You're appointed race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you 
may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What's that about? That's about worship. You and I have been appointed to worship. You know, some of you were here this morning, and we had a fantastic time of worship. Some here this morning were wondering, is this really church? Do we do things like this in church? Yes, that was worship. And we've been appointed to that. You and I have been appointed to worship. Now, this is more than just singing songs because God isn't after song singers. He's after worshipers. He's after people who will connect with Him with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their bodies. Yeah. Yeah, come on. So if you're standing there in the middle of worship and you look like the rock of Gibraltar, you need to go to Lynn's Restoration Retreat. You need to get delivered. Yeah. See, God is worship, wanting people who will worship Him. People whose hearts will draw near to God. And uh, Jesus talked about a people... He talked about a people in the Gospels whose lips drew near to him, but their hearts were far away from him. And we don't want to be people like that. We want to be people who worship God with all of our hearts, with everything that's within us. Now, as I thought a bit about that, I spent some time on that because, uh, uh, you know, there are some forces that hinder us from entering into worship with God. Some of us don't find that natural at all. I, for one, when I got saved, I was, uh, I was in my 20s, and I found that really hard, really hard to adjust. I liked what I saw. I enjoyed it, but I didn't know how to enter into it. And I want to tell you, there's four forces that will stop you or hinder you or try and resist you pressing into a heart of worship uh, and uh, hinder you from experiencing and worshiping God with all that you've got. The first force is culture. Now we live, how many of you know that we live in a culture that's passive, that's apathetic, that's inexpressive? I talk to men who can't even express love to their wives, who they, you know, they really love, but they've never said that to them. Never, never once, never, not at all. Now, Come on, that is true. That is true. Now figure that. A woman that you marry, drop dead gorgeous, you know, hot in every sense, and you can't even say you love her. That's something, there is something really wrong with that. That's part of our nasty, oppressed culture that says you can't express any emotions. You know, maybe, uh, maybe you grew up in a, in a culture that's not like that, but actually Kiwi culture is. You, it's oppressive. It's, uh, it holds you down and you say, oh, I don't get excited about anything except sport, okay? And we, and we can get really excited about rugby, but that's it. Nowhere else, nothing else, okay? That's it. So we need help. Okay, so that's culture. But this other thing is, is our family. So there's culture our national culture, but there's also our own family culture. Now, I grew up in a farming family, and uh, a country boy, let me tell you a bit about farmers, far, my farmer family culture. Farmers, they get up early. They work hard. 
They drive heavy machinery. They grow things and they farm things. And what they're not growing, they spray. And what they're not farming, they shoot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and when things go well, we might smile and it looks a lot like this. That, that's excited, okay? So that's when things go well, they, they look a lot like this, okay? And when things go badly, they look a lot like this. Did you spot the difference? There's very little, okay? And when things get sick, we shoot them, okay? And let me tell you, there's two things that farming families do not do. They do not sing, and they surely don't dance. <laughs> so when I came into church, and you got all these people, and they're singing, and they're dancing, I'm thinking, oh my word, this fish is way out of water, okay? This fish is in an environment that is, uh, uh, is foreign. So I had to deal with that. I had to deal with my own family culture that said, real men don't sing, I hadn't even discovered that I had a voice. When I first opened my mouth to sing, I was horrified. I thought, oh, my word, where did that come from? Yeah. And then, you know, it was, it was probably three years before I, I did do a little hop. Okay. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, break out. That was my family culture that pressed me down and said, you cannot worship God. You cannot be expressive with your, with your voice. You cannot be expressive with your, with your body. You can't do that because real men don't do that. Well, let me tell you, na 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 boo-boo, that's rubbish, okay? That is not true. Real men sing and worship God. Real men, they dance. You look at, at the life of David. You know, he was a man of men. He was an incredible man, killed lions with his bare hands, killed giants, won battles, just did amazing things, loved women, few too many, okay? <laughs> but he was a man of men. He worshipped God. He worshipped God, God, and he danced, and he sang. He wrote psalms, beautiful, beautiful songs, expressed his whole heart to God. Not only did, that, did he do that, he danced. He danced with all his might before the Lord. And you see, for us, that's an example. That's an example of heaven's culture. Heaven's culture over and above our national culture, over and above our family culture. Our God is an expressive God. We were designed in His image, and we were appointed to express worship to Him in a creative way. Now, there's another, there's another thing that will seek to squash out worship. It's a stinky, nasty thing that's called religion. Religion wants to squash out worship. They'll say, you guys, you need to learn to be quiet before the Lord. You need to learn to respect and reverence. Have you heard people like that? What do you say to them? Boo! <laughs> you know, Jesus, Jesus, when he was coming into Jerusalem, all his disciples and the children along the road, they were worshiping him. They were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the, to the King of Kings, Hosanna to the Son of David. They were singing and they were worshiping, they were waving branches of trees. And the religious people were saying, teacher, tell your disciples to be quiet. 
And Jesus said, this is, I love this. Jesus said, if these would be quiet, the rocks would cry out. I tell you, I don't want a rock to take my place. I don't want any rock to cry out in my place. I'm going to extend myself, go beyond my national culture, go beyond my family culture, go beyond a stinky religious culture and praise God and worship Him and be completely ridiculous for Jesus. Come on, give God a hand. Yeah. See, there's another force that resists, that resists true worship. It's called death. Okay, and it's closely related to, uh, to uh, religion. It's closely related. It's a brother of or sister. Death. Dead things don't praise God. Dead things are quiet. Dead things are silent. And in the Psalms it says, the people who go down to the grave, they are silent. They don't offer you praise. And then on the other side in Psalm 150 at verse 6, it says, let everything, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. How many of you have got breath in your lungs tonight? Come on, let's praise Him then. Let's praise Him, people. Hallelujah. You know, some people say that, uh, uh, you know, uh, we've got to learn to be quiet. We've got to learn to be quiet. You know, there's a that stinky religious thing. And... Uh, you know, there is a place, there is a place for quietness before the Lord. There is a place for meditation. There is a place for waiting before God. But not a church. We've got amplifiers. We've got electric instruments. We've got speakers. We've got woofers. So we can be loud. You don't have those things at home. So when you come to church... Don't get snaky about the noise that we make. Get over yourself and enjoy yourself. Well, what about your hearing? Well, let me tell you, we measure the sound so that you can be assured that your ears will not be damaged in the services. Your ears will not be harmed. Your hearing will not be harmed in our services. So rest on that. If you're still really worried, you can stick earplugs in, okay? But the earplugs don't stop you from dancing, yeah, earplugs do not stop you from clapping your hands. Come on. So we are appointed to worship God. So tell the person next to you, you're appointed to worship. All right. So let's turn over where there's another thing that we're appointed to, another function or another, another role that God has appointed us to. Are you enjoying yourselves tonight? Uh, uh, are you learning something? All right, that's good. Turn over in your Bible to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Yeah, I love this. I love this. I love this verse. All right, you've got it? All right, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, do you know that God knew you before you even uttered your first squawk on this earth? God knew you before you were even a glimmer in your mummy and daddy's eyes. God knew you before you were born. He had a plan for you. It says that who he foreknew, that's you and I, he also predestined or appointed us to be conformed to the image of his son 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God determined that we would become like Jesus Christ. We would become like him. God has a purpose for your life that you would reflect the very nature of God. That you would be like Jesus Christ. The same things that Jesus Christ did on this earth. He has appointed you to be like. He has appointed you to say and be like what Jesus is. And we become like that as we submit ourselves to him and allow ourselves to be conformed to his image. Now, you can be conformed to all sorts of other images because there's a principle in life that what we focus on, we become like. Now, I, I live, uh, uh, where I live, I often I see there's a, in the morning, I, I love this, uh, I watch people parade up, in, up, past, my, uh, up past my window uh, while I'm eating breakfast, and uh, often there's a uh, a woman now uh, trotting along a little dust mop, uh, scampy doggy thing, and uh, <laughs> it looks like a dust mop on legs. Okay, and uh, I look at that and I and uh, I think there's a prissy little dog. Uh, I don't want to offend anyone if you've got a prissy little dog. Okay, please don't please don't be offended. Okay, but I look at the person and the dog and I think, which one of you is like each other? Right? Eh? How about that? Now, how many of you know that sometimes pets look like their owners or their owners look like their pets? I, I, I've got some slides up there, so uh, maybe, uh, uh, Steve, if you can show us back here of some pets and some, uh, and some of their owners. Now, uh, <laughs> so there's the frizzy-haired ones, okay, that uh, you can see. How many of you can see the resemblance? All right. Okay, let's, uh, let's have a look at the other one. Okay, you got the sad-eyed variety. Yeah, okay, here we go. Here's some, let's have a look at the next one. Yeah, you got the long-nosed, skinny face variety with bug eyes. <laughs> and my personal favorite. Whoa! Now, how tragic, how tragic is it to be conformed to the image of your pet? Oh, my word, what a waste of a life. That could be you. The choice is yours. Now, pets are cool, all right? Don't, don't get upset with me about pets. Just, just don't become like it, okay? <laughs> don't let it be the focus of your life. But every one of us, we know people who are like their pets, either whether it's their cat or their dog or their horse. I tell you, there's a higher purpose for your life than that. There's a higher purpose for your life than that. But let me ask you, maybe you don't bear the image of your pet. Whose image do you bear? Maybe it is the image of your friends. Do you bear the image of your friends? Because every parent will tell you that your kids become like who they hang out with. And it would be great if the others picked up all the good traits of your kids but invariably works the other way around where they pick up the bad stuff. So you want to be careful who you're hanging out with and that you're not taking on their image. Like whose image are you bearing? We're designed to bear the image of Christ. Now maybe 
You are bearing the image of your circumstances, your problems. How many of you know people who focus on their problems and they become one huge problem? You don't want to be around these people because they're either talking about their backache or their knee ache or their leg ache or their headache or something. And if it's not some ache in their body, they're grizzling about something else in their family or some other disaster. And if there's no disaster going on in their lives currently, they will create one Uh, because they're in the image of their problems. Okay, now you don't want to be a person like that. But also, you know, maybe you're not in the image of that, but maybe you carry the image of your parents or your family. Now, uh, uh, my family, uh, my family have some interesting traits, some really interesting traits. Well, one of them is, is uh, uh, dealing with conflict. Now, um, when, uh, when I introduced Kalinda to our family, I thought it was just normal. So when I first took Kalinda to our family, we were around a mealtime, and, and mealtime in my family it used to resemble a, a, a World War III, okay? It didn't matter who had an opinion. Someone else had an opposing opinion, that was, and, uh, and you won the argument by shouting the loudest. And, uh, yeah, so it was verbal warfare. So you learn, you know, that, uh, that you solve conflicts by verbal bloody knuckles, okay? It was aggressive and nasty. And my wife, she said to me, she, after, after dinner the first night, she was like a shell-shocked rabbit on fireworks. You know, you know what they look like? <laughs> because her family was really different. And uh, her family, you won an argument by getting quieter and quieter and quieter. So massive control. So guess what happened when we got married? Oh, way. <laughs> so when we had a fight or a disagreement, my voice would escalate. And she would say, stop yelling at me. You're yelling at me. I said, honey, I haven't even begun yelling, okay? <laughs> you want yelling? <laughs> <laughs> Brace yourself, because we're heading for nuclear meltdown right now. <laughs> okay, so guess what I found out? I was carrying the image of my family. I didn't want it. I looked at it and I thought, I don't want to be anything like you guys at all. That's not how I want to live my life. But somehow or other, that rubbed off on me. And I had to get free from it. I had to repent of it. I had to say, God, I don't want this in my life. I had to get prayer. I had to repent. I had to deal with it and keep dealing with it and deal with it again until God broke that thing off my life. And I've still got to rein that thing and make sure that it doesn't creep in the back door because that thing sneaks into my life. It has ways in, and you've got to say, I don't want that thing there anymore. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> and if you don't, your husband or your wife knows what I'm talking about. All right. So whose image do you carry? I tell you, it'll come out in conflict situations. It'll come up in, in such problem situations. It'll come up in sin situations where you've got to say, oh, my word, I think I look just like my dad. Or I look just like my mum, and that's a bad, 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 bad place to be, eh? So you say, Jesus, you're my father. 
I want to be conformed to your image. And as I focus on you, as I set my life towards you, you change me. How many of you are glad that you can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Yeah, hallelujah. All right. Now there's one more thing that we are appointed to. So we're appointed, we're appointed to worship him. We're appointed to bear his image. We are also appointed to a unique assignment upon the earth. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. And this is very cool. Have you found it in your Bible yet? Oh, come on. The youth have found it in their Bible. That's good. Go the youth. Have the adults found it in their Bible? Eh? Oh, come on. uh, All right. So Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew. I know. Hold on. What am I doing? I got there. Ephesians. I'm reading off the wrong page. I put that one away. I was just checking to see if you were awake. Yeah. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, and it says, For we are His workmanship. Workmanship. Now that sounds very duty task-like, but actually it is we are His work of poetry. You are our work of poetry. The root word in there is like a poem. You are God's poetry on the earth. You're an expression of His creative ability and a statement, a creative expression of His love to the world. You are God's poetry to this world. And we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should work in them, that we should walk in them. Every one of us, every one of us has a unique assignment from God, a unique call on on our lives to do something great for God. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't just the Apostle Paul. It was you and I, every one of us. We've been created to do something significant on this earth. Every one of us, every one of us, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have got specific gifts, spiritual gifts and talents that God wants them to be released upon the earth to do something great for Him. Every one of you, you've got something special in your life. It's one of the roles of the church and the church leadership is to see those things function and come out, help you to identify those things. You know what? You have got something great to do on this earth. So it's for each of us. We've got to discover what God has placed in our lives. What are the gifts that He's placed in our lives? What are the talents? What do we love to do and what do we hate to do? And find from that what God has called you to do. You know, from, um, from six months, I got saved. And uh, six months, within six months, I knew... I knew that God had called me to be a pastor. Knew, absolutely knew, before anyone prophesied over me. My senior pastor prophesied over me sometime later and said, you're called to pastoral ministry. I already knew it, but it was great that he recognized it. You know, I knew that from then, six months into my salvation. I also knew that I had a call to teach the Word of God. 
also knew that I had some, something, I didn't know what it was, but something to do with China. I knew that within six months of crossing the line uh, to, uh, to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, am I unusual? No, no, no. Every one of you, every one of you should know what God has placed on your life. Know the gifts that he's placed on your life. Know that God has called you for something special. Identify them and hone them. You know, it took me 10 years 10 years before I actually became a pastor in a church. But that didn't stop me functioning as one for a whole lot longer before then. So whatever God has called you to do, function in that role. It doesn't matter what anyone calls you. Who cares? Just do it. Do what God has called you to do. Learn what that is. Be who that is. And, and just grow in that. Invest in it. Take big risks. Do something great and to reach out and stretch out. You know, some of you, of course, some of you will say, well, I'm not called to be a pastor. Oh, I don't know. I don't think I'm called to anything great. Rubbish. Because every one of us, when God created man and woman, when he created them, he blessed them. And he said, have dominion on the earth. Have dominion on the earth. Every one of us is called to have some area of life that we have dominion over. First of all, our own lives, then our families. But then beyond that, something else that God has called you to, something that God has called you to make a difference on the earth, whether that's in, in uh, teaching, whether that's in law and order, whether, the, whether that's in accounting, whether that's in business, whether that's in uh, uh, orchard management, whatever. Whatever, but what has God called you to? Because surely he has not called you to a life of drifting. He has not called you to be a Christian waster. You know what I'm saying? He's called you to do something great for God. He's called you to do something great on the earth. And you're going to need to invest in that. You're going to need to feed that. You're going to need to cultivate that. See, everyone I know, you've got gifts. And some of you have had calls on your life for a long, long time. God's asked you to do something, but you haven't invested in it. You haven't done anything with that. You've just thought, well, maybe God will do that something with that one day. Can I have the band, please? Maybe, ooh, that was interesting. All right. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe you've had that in your heart and your life, that God has called you to something, and you've never invested anything in that. How many of you know? How many of you know that God has called you to something? You know in your heart, and you know that you need to do something with that. Tonight, every one of you who's got that in your heart, you've been busy going on with your own lives. You've been busy, like Paul, with his own agenda, doing something, busy for God, on a, on a track of your own. And God's wanting to get a hold of your life. He's waiting for you to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I'm prepared to put down my own agenda. I'm prepared to take up what you have for me. Tonight as we worship God, I want you to come forward and I want you to surrender yourself in humility and say, Jesus, tonight... I'm dropping my own agenda. I'm picking up what you have for me. Lord, what do you want me to do? And right here, I know also 
there's people in this place. You've never given your heart or your life to Jesus Christ. Right now, every eye closed, every head bowed. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've lived life your own way, but you're here tonight saying, God, I don't want to live a purposeless life. I know I must have been created for something greater than this. Jesus, tonight, you gave your heart, your life for me. You poured out your blood upon the cross to pay for my sins. Tonight, I want to give my life to you.